You're listening to Unshackled Leadership, a lantern for black women. This podcast is produced to help black women in leadership become more centered by silencing their inner critic and creating strategies to become more confident and innovative. I'm your host, ICF Certified Executive Leadership Coach, Joya Jefferson-Nuri. Welcome again to Unshackled Leadership, a lantern for Black women. As you know, this podcast is designed to help women who are already in leadership positions or who have an aspiration to get there to get past their zone of excellence and into their zone of genius. Well, today we're going to talk about a zone that many of us don't venture into, and maybe more of us should, and that's making that leap from the office to entrepreneur, from being an employee to being your own boss. It has lots of different things that go with it, and we're going to talk about that today. So, you know, when we're all growing up, we're told that if we get that great job, it's going to be a benefit to your life. As a black woman, we are told that if you have a good job and a good education, that's the gateway past racism and other discrimination. But for so many of us, as we grow older, working at that great job becomes frustrating, limiting, and we're really not getting what we want. We want to be entrepreneurs. We want to own our own businesses. We want to make our own rules. But but the higher you climb up the corporate ladder, the more money you're making, the more prestige you have. So the ability to jump From that great job to entrepreneurism is frightening. That's because your false upper limits, your inner critic are telling you over and over again that you'll never make that much money. You'll never have that same kind of prestige. And one day, eventually, you're going to end up homeless and living on the streets. Well, I'm an example of someone who made that leap several years ago, and I have never lived on the street. But I'm not going to tell you that it's easy. So I was figuring out each one of those steps all by myself and making big mistakes. But today you have the opportunity not to be doing it alone. Several years ago, I hired a finance coach to help me understand how my money worked, how to get new clients, how to manage the whole thing. And she is our guest today. Please allow me to introduce you to my business and personal finance coach, Kendall Jones. Kendall is the founder and CEO of Jones Coaching Group. She works with women, helping us make that leap from the office to entrepreneur. Kendall, thank you very much for being here. Thank you. I I just want to let you know, in that whole introduction, the whole time I was nodding my head yes, 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 because it's what I hear all the time, and it's where I was, but thank you so much for a lovely introduction. It's always a pleasure to be with you, Joya. Thank you. Let's first begin with the fear that women have, I guess everybody has it, women have, Black women in particular have, about making that leap. I know in my work, the inner critic is the is the culprit. Always, always, always talking to you about what you can't do. And you will be broke. And not just broke where you can't go to Nordstrom's. You're just broke. 
So what are you what are you hearing from your clients? Um, I think, yeah, the fear is a main driver. And that's partly because one, we have been taught some, in my opinion, lies about entrepreneurship. It's not lies. It's just reality for some people, but it's not reality for everyone. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been taught that entrepreneurship is risky. It's more risky to be an entrepreneur than it is to go and work for someone. Um, And the reality is, is if you structure your business a certain way, being an entrepreneur, in my opinion, is less risky than it is to actually work for someone. Prime example is, you know, you can build a business that can house or um, actually have a capacity to work with five, 10, 15. My business works with 20 women, 30 women at one time. Actually, our max is 30, and that's usually where we are. So Mm -hmm. if five of those women, decide, oh, maybe this isn't for us anymore. We still have 25 women that are paying revenue into the business and getting great results for what they do. Um, But when you work for a job and they decide to downsize or they decide that, you know, you're no longer a great fit, you have one income source. So in actuality, a lot of the messages we're receiving about entrepreneurship is this very flawed. It all depends on the type of model you develop. That's one. And the second thing I hear all the time is this income piece, right? We as uh, women who are very accomplished, we have worked really hard to get into these positions, right? We've worked hard to become leaders. We've gone to school, gotten these degrees. We've got student loans to make it happen. Very few people out there don't have student loans who are in leadership positions, right? Mm-hmm. We've checked all the boxes. We've we've done everything right. And we're now making this six-figure income, sometimes multi-six-figure income. And now you're telling me that in order to change, I have to relearn a lot of things. It almost feels like starting over. Um, and that's scary to us. We worked really hard to establish ourselves and make a name for ourselves. And now we have to make our name for ourselves in a different way. So those are the two things that I hear. You know, money is very much a driving factor on the type of life you can develop, how much you understand money and the type of systems you put in place around money. And so if you don't understand how to make it on your own, make that money on your own, you do think that you're going to have a lower quality of life instead of a better quality of life, right? So let me ask you this. What do you say to people who say, um, I, I want, I don't want to start over. What do you say to people? Well, I say oftentimes there's, there's a couple of things I say. One is what do you want the most, right? Like what do you want deep down inside What's your heart's desire? Because oftentimes our, our heart's desire is not going and working for someone, try, working hard to get a seat at that table and still not being able to make an impact on the organization that we're in. Our heart's desire is to have a major impact, to have more freedom to spend with our families, uh, to have more freedom to just spend with ourselves and get to know ourselves on a deeper level travel the world whenever we want to stop asking for permission to live you know so sometimes you do have to make an immediate sacrifice right like you have to make a compromise in order to reinvent yourself or reinvent your life but then there's a whole other facet of this which is you're probably not reinventing yourself 
You know, if you are a woman who has accomplished a lot in life and in your career, there's a very good chance that when you start this business, people will see you as a knowledge source. They'll see you as a person who can help them get to the next step and the next level in life. So it's not really reinventing yourself. I thought that I would be reinventing myself. And it didn't really happen that way. As soon as I started the business and I positioned myself in certain ways, I became a thought leader in this industry, just like I was a thought leader in the other industry. And in fact, it happened a lot quicker than it did working for someone else, right? Because I was paving my own path. So I love this story. I, you know, I know your story, but I <laughs> want to get into the, before we get to the finance part. One of the questions I get when clients really want to make this leap, and a lot of my clients, when they're ready to make that leap, I send them to you. So I, I, I believe that the hardest part is for people to decide what they want the business to be. Let's just say you're a lawyer here, you know, or you're something in this, that corporate world, and now you want to start a business, and you're interested in 500 things. And how do you make that decision? What is your process of helping people make that decision as to what that business will be? Yeah, that's a very good question because there's two types of people when it comes to this. There's the people who have no idea what they want to do, right? Like they have no, they don't have any instinct as far as what that business could be. And then there's this whole other section of people that have too many opportunities, you know, and I, I was one of those people who had too many opportunities. So there's a couple of practices or exercises I have to help people determine. One is that I want you to find that business sweet spot. There's an intersection. There's an intersection between what you actually love and enjoy doing that you can talk about for hours and hours and hours and not get tired of, Right. Then there's this other piece of what people are really, truly willing to pay for, right? And then the last piece of that is what do people really want or what do they really need? They don't always have to need it, but they could want it really bad, right? But we're looking for this intersection because oftentimes there's things that we enjoy, but they're not things that people are really willing to pay that good price point for. And we're looking for a good price point. Because I am a lifestyle business coach. I believe in lifestyle businesses. I don't want you working 50, 60 hours a week. You've already done that, right? So in order for you to get out of this cycle of working all the time, the price point has to be good. So we don't want you running around selling things that are at a low price point because then you will be working a lot more than you need to. So we're looking for this intersection. The other part, or the other exercise of this is really getting an idea of what your ideal lifestyle is. What type of life do you truly want to live? Business should not be isolated from the type of lifestyle you want to live or your personal finance goals. And oftentimes we treat business like it's this separate entity, but it can cloud everything that you do. So you could easily turn, you know, go from working 60 hours a week for someone else to working 80 hours a week for yourself. Because I you think that's what people assume will happen, that that working for your even in the research, getting ready for this interview, I found that a lot of websites are telling people expect to work more hours when you start your business. And 
I've learned from you and I, you know, and you tell other clients that that's not necessarily true. It's not, you know, it's all based on the model that you have. You know, when you're reading those articles, you have to be very careful of where you get business advice from and financial advice from, because there's more than one way to get to the result. It's not that their way is wrong. It's just the way that they prefer and it's the way that they have learned and they've taught. And so if you are reading someone who has the hustle mentality, then you're going to practice hustle methodologies to make this all come together. Now, if you work with someone like me, like you mentioned, I am not into that. I already did that in my career. This is a whole new world. I'm going to teach you ways in which you can make six figures in revenue and six figures profit, but you're not working all the time to make it happen because I'm prioritizing the life I want before I prioritize the business. So the business doesn't get to create its own life. The business is designed to create the life that I want to live. Well, you know, it's interesting because I started my business 20 some years ago and it really was always push, 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 stress, 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 this, this, and this. You know, I was battling my own inner critic in the, in the early years of this, and I didn't know anything about the money. And I, you know, I started working with you and I became able to project my money. I know when money's coming in, I can tell you now when, what, what monies I'm expecting in August. It kind of lets you know what I should be doing in June and July if I want to increase that or if I'm happy with that or September. Um, and this show will debut on the 27th of June. So people have some concept of what I'm talking about, 2023. But in working with you, what I've learned is, well, the result has been, I don't work more than three hours a day. I take three hours of clients a day. And then I, you know, may do some work with my marketing people, but I even took that off my plate. They're doing the work. I'm just having a meeting. And then I'm getting ready for maybe I got two workshops coming up. And so I had to work on those and to present those, but it's really easy work. There are times during the day I'm bored. And I learned that from you, and my income is far greater. Yes. <laughs> far greater. Uh, because you taught me how to charge. You taught me what I should be doing and what it were and, who, and refining my target audience. And all of that is about important to when you make that leap between entrepreneur and from the company. Absolutely. It's incredibly important, you know, knowing how to charge, knowing how to project outward. You know, there's some parts of business, I always say they're not the sexiest parts, you know, like (laughs) understanding ROI, understanding your projections and things of that sort. Business isn't all about, you know, making a pretty logo and all these other pieces, but you know, the, these are the parts of business that if you do them and you understand them, business becomes a science. Mm-hmm. There's really no mystery. I think sometimes people think entrepreneurship is haphazard, you know, but there's not. There's systems that you can put in place and methodologies. And there's so many ways to make it happen that you have to find the way that works for you. And that's mm-hmm. another piece that people aren't missing. This is the more advanced Stuff when it comes to business. So right. you know, people want to market and then they take a marketing class from some marketing guru, not knowing that that marketing strategy might not work for you. Right. There's so many marketing strategies out there. 
the things that work for you are the ones that are in alignment with you. So there's less of a resistance for you to show up and do it over and over again. The right. same thing could be said about growth. You know, growth is there's no mystery on how to grow your business. There's math involved that we try to mm-hmm. stay away from. <laughs> yes. And there's methodologies that you probably have already done that you have to know how to build from. And, you know, that's why this, my business is multi six figures and I work 10 hours a week, you know, Mm -hmm. most weeks are 10, sometimes it's 15. So, you know, there's some, there's some uh, predictability here. There's 90 something percent predictability when it comes to business. Right, right. And, And I have learned that. And when I get lax and I go away for a week and I leave it alone, then I come back after the week and maybe two weeks later before I get back to the methodology... I feel it. I feel it like, oh, shouldn't have lost three weeks. But it's not, I shouldn't have lost three weeks like somebody's beating me over the head. I'm actually at the beach. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I stayed too long. <laughs> and so, but let's go back to some of the methods here. We talked about target audience and who will pay. What's that process look like for your clients? Um, determining your target audience? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some of it is really understanding this is what you're wanting to offer. This is your offer. This is your service. Understanding Mm -hmm. the ideal demographic for that service is really important. And some of these demographics, we if you Google this, you know, finding your ideal client online, a lot of it is very generic information, right? So they're going to talk about age and location and education and things of that sort. The more advanced part of this is understanding personality type. You know, like what is the personality type of your ideal demographic? Um, And one of the things I tell people is like, we're going to figure out what this ideal demographic is. We have to make sure that they could pay the price, you know, that you want to set so that you can have this lifestyle business and you can live a more abundant life in all areas and not just money. But the other piece is, you know, who would you love to work with? If you see them jump in your inbox and say, oh my goodness, Joya, I would love to work with you. What does that person look like? Mm -hmm. What's the client that makes you excited? So for me, I really love working with women, especially women of color who are trying to get to financial freedom. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love helping them to understand how business works, the mindset of what it takes to make it work and all the techniques like it's not just emotional, it's technical too. But the other type of client I love to work with are people with complex finances. I help a lot of people get to retirement that thought they would never be able to retire whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And so this is part of like the the deeper layers of understanding that ideal client. You want a client that keeps you engaged and excited about what you're doing. You want a client that forces you to grow. Mm -hmm. as well. And so all of this is very important. And as you grow, you can start calling new clients into the sphere that weren't there before, you know, clients with maybe more complexity, you know, certain things like that. And these are the things you can do while you still work the job. Absolutely. And you should, (laughs) you should do it. These are the things you can do while you still work the job. Um, I find that asking clients to set aside that time for your business, you had a unique uh, situation when we met. You worked a job that was high pressured. 
Okay, you were organizational change manager for a tax bureau for a major city. And at the end of your day, instead of coming home and vegging in front of Netflix, tell people what you did. I worked the business. <laughs> yeah, like I, I woke up every single morning two hours before I had to be at work. This is pre-COVID where you actually had a commute to go to work. So mm-hmm. I woke up two hours before and I sat down and I worked on my business. I went to work all day and I came home. And then I had clients all evening, a lot of times from 6 p.m. all the way till 10 or sometimes 11 p.m. at night. And I did this every day. What it did for me was it gave me all the data. It allowed me to go through the learning curve of knowing that the business is going to work by the time I leave. And one Mm -hmm. of the biggest mistakes I see, and I actually just mentioned this on a podcast episode of mine yesterday, is that people are leaving too early. They're leaving the jobs too early. They don't even have a business set up. They don't have a community to pull from. They haven't sold anything yet. Mm -hmm. So as a result, they're pushing themselves into a business that is not ready for them. And then they're leaving and now they have high pressure financial situations because we're grown people. You know, we have mortgages and rent and student loans. Right, and right. And so you're leaving before you ever got any of the data that allows you to grow this business. So you should be working the business while you work. Is it easy? No, I'm not going to act like it's easy, but it becomes easier for you to leave and do the job, do the business, you know, leave the job because now you have all the information. It's not right. a nice thing to say or a popular thing to say, but it's true. So it relieves the financial pressure that you're putting on yourself once you But leave. at the end of your day, weren't you just too brain dead to work? Once you did that, you got up two hours early. Yeah. You, I'm playing angel's advocate here because in all reality, in my body, the reason I don't take eight o'clock PM clients is like, I don't have brain capacity at eight o'clock. How did you balance that? I said no to a lot of things. And you're right. Like I was tired. You know, I'm not going to act like I wasn't. I didn't really recognize how tired I was. So I will admit that. Because I was on a mission. So anytime I'm on a mission, everybody has to get out of the way, (laughs) you know, including myself. So, you know, sometimes we have to get out of the way of our our own selves. But I was, you know, I was on a mission. I was very, very driven. And yes, there were times I was tired, but Mm -hmm. I did take time for myself in the process. So, you know, sometimes I did have clients on Sunday. But a lot of times I might take Sunday just for myself to decompress. Mm -hmm. I am an introvert. So alone time is very important for me. Um, Once a month, I went to a spa, a luxury spa. It was my Mm -hmm. way of marking that I got through the month. And it was your reward. It was my reward. So I went to the Four Seasons once a month. I did not drive myself to the Four Seasons. I took a nice Uber to the Four Seasons and back to just acknowledge that I served, you know, I made it another month, you know, right, right. but another way that I made it through was I created milestones that showed me that I was on my way. So for me, I knew from the very beginning that this wasn't just going to be a side hustle. Like I knew that this was going to be my full-time business and the milestones were essential for me to know, you know, you can see a light at the end of the tunnel. You're more inclined to sustain for a long time a longer time, right? 
And so Mm -hmm. I had these milestones because I do have a financial background. I knew the financial milestones along the way that would help me to reach this point where I could leave. And so that was a real motivator for me because I was Mm -hmm. checking the box. Like, you know, I hit this milestone. I'm good to go on to the next milestone. And I had an end date. I told myself. So when I went into this, it was either go back and get a, another degree like an MBA or do the business. So mm-hmm. I'm I didn't want to work for someone. Getting an MBA is not going to guarantee you that you're going to be an entrepreneur. In fact, most of the people I know have MBAs and none of them are entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Right. So I said, I'm going to spend two years on this business because that's the amount of time I would have spent on the MBA. And it took like a year and a few months before I had reached the point where the business was paying all of my bills. So I had a light that helped me to mark like it's coming. That kind of precision. And I would think that the audience for this show and your podcast will be people who know how to build strategies, set deadlines and execute them. Yeah. So the same, right. The skills you have at work now, just apply them to yourselves. And, and if the boss asks you to work an extra four hours at the end of the workday, you would do it. So now you're the boss. Right. So you would do it. You know, right. you would do it. And I, and I do believe a lot of people don't understand that being an entrepreneur is your, your own boss. But actually, if you have clients, you have a lot of bosses. But you have to create an environment by which you know when you're going to work and you know when you're not going to work. Like for me... You can't talk to me on Thursday or Sunday because I take clients on Saturdays. And so that's decompression. That is get a massage. That is take a long walk. But it's also thinking about the business without the pressure of the business being around you. You can just really get creative. You can write in your phone. You can write in a journal like, oh, what are you going to do now? So it's also about disciplining your calendar in a way that you would when you're working for somebody else, correct? Right. And when I was building the business and working at the same time, in my head, I thought if I could make this work while working a high demand, high pressure, a lot of hours job, imagine what it's going to be like when I don't have all of that. And Mm -hmm. so I have a lot of time, partly because I mastered this while working, not because I mastered it after. right? Right. And so, you know, my days are very open. I don't work Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. I work, like I said, around 10 to 15 hours a week. Most days I go for a walk for an hour and a half every morning. I'm traveling all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's because I set the boundaries in the beginning. And if you want to build a business while working a high pressure job, you have to put boundaries around a lot of things, you know, your friends and the expectations they might have, you know, around you and your social life. You have to put some, you know, some standards up for your family. And sometimes you have to put boundaries around the job. I mean, there were a lot of times I worked a lot because I didn't put enough boundaries around the job. At a certain point, you have to decide that this is what you want. Mm-hmm. And you have to make this, you know, the main priority and kind of use that sick leave you know, to go do a workshop, lead a workshop or something like that, which is what I did actually, you know, I started (laughs) using vacation time and sick leave to go do a workshop and, you know, certain things like that. So you, you have to prioritize what it is you want the most. 
Yeah. Then that's yeah. the most that's essential. And I tell people always, never run from, run to. So if all you want to do is run from this job, not a good motivation. It won't sustain you when it gets hard. But if you're running to your business, then you will have all the energy, all the motivation, all the great ideas. You'll surround yourself with people who support that. You will get rid of those people who say, girl, you know how hard it is to run a business. Why do you want to get out there in the middle of that? I did that once and I had to quit. Well, then that's your story. Mm-hmm. But if you're running towards something, you know what you want and you will go get it like, like most motivated women will do and will do it. I, I have a, I have one client who went to law school with toddlers on her head, hip, four and two years old. She'd take them to class and make them comfortable and did all the homework. And now that was years ago, but now she's where she wants to be in her career. And I have another client who did the same thing um, with four children. So if you really want something, you can get that. You know, you may not have a lot of sleep, but when it's all over, which is a short period of time. Very short. And consider to your span of your adult life, um, you can get it. You can have it. So run to, don't run from. I completely agree. And I also believe aligning yourself with people who have accomplished the goal and the way in which you want to accomplish it is essential, Mm -hmm. you know, and I see that with my clients because I didn't have a coach and my clients are getting the results. It took me two years to get, they're getting it in like six months or Mm -hmm. less Mm -hmm. because they're aligned with me. So I agree. You have to, you have to go all in. But that doesn't mean you don't want you want to put yourself in a hard financial position to do right. That. <laughs> well, that's a great segue to where I want to get to, and that's finance. And so we've done this beautiful laying out of the steps to get to your business, and now you have to realize how is it going to be financed, both your business and your personal life. So the stage is yours, Kendall Jones. Of <laughs> um, how do you finance the business? You know. Yeah. I I am a, because I'm someone when it comes to money, I'm always thinking about how are you giving yourself more choices, not less choices. And sometimes that means there's a gradual scale up to maybe where you want to be, you know, when it comes to the business. I am not a big fan of taking out financing for your business. You know, I think, especially in the beginning, don't get me wrong, it's different if you have a few years in the game and all of that. And so what you need to do is you need to start off with, you know, your own money, your own funds. And I would encourage you to figure out a way to develop a business that is a service-based business. Even if you want to productize something in the future, start off where it's service-based. It's a lower point of financial entry than it is for you to go out and try to create some kind of you know, anything that's like a product. So so don't start with a manufacturing business or your manufacturing not. t-shirts. Okay. N- no. Not as your first business. Not yeah. as your first business. You know, you want to build a business where you can get access to your clients easily. That's the first thing. But then also you want to build a business that doesn't have a high overhead. So as a result, you have a higher profit margin. The higher your profit margin is, 
the more you could start reinvesting money back into your business and you could grow things like a team and so on and so forth. But also as a result of taking this track, you tend to move slower into a scale model, which means that you're not just taking all this money and reinvesting it over and over and over into this business to a point where you're creating bills, regular bills on the business. It's one thing to sign up for something for a quick minute. And it's Mm -hmm. another thing to create a team of 25 people that you have to support when there was no revenue there, no profit there. So you have to take care of yourself first. You know, this business started off at a 95% profit margin. Now it's at a 75% profit margin, but I have full-time employees, part-time employees and everything. Mm -hmm. So as I grew the revenue, I could, you know, also decrease the profit margin, but I'm getting paid more than ever. So it's really important to patiently grow into the business when it comes to the expenses on the business. And there's so many businesses you can start that have little to no overhead. And that's where you should start. In the future, you could build a business with very high overhead and it won't keep you locked into a job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It won't keep you locked there. You know, there's also that balance between um, what you bring into the business and what you pay yourself. And that the financial structures, what I what I learned from you is I would have a separate account where I pay myself. So for my manicures, whatever, it comes out of that and not out of my business so that the business can have like, I think my business credit rating is like an 850 mm-hmm. because I don't overdraw that account. I make sure everything is done right there. And, you know, banking is looking at you. Dun yeah. & Bradstreet are looking at you. You, you know, you, we can get into another thing with some at some other show about whether or not you're an LLC or any of those things. Right. But but back to you in the finance, how, how, do, how do you decide? Let's just say this month, I'll make up a number. Your business brought in $15,000. Okay, $10,000. We'll say $10,000. Tell the people the mechanism for how you decide how much you're going to pay yourself out of that $10,000. So the basic financial formula for most businesses is revenue. So that fifteen or ten thousand dollars you just talked about minus expenses equals profit. Mm-hmm. And the expenses line are, is everything that the business is using, you know, on a regular basis in order for that fifteen thousand to even come into fruition. You know, right, right. So. The profit margin or the profit line is what you get to pay yourself. That's what that's what goes in your pocket, you know. That's that's the important line. That's the most right. important line. Yes. A lot of times what I'm seeing is that people are very focused on the revenue. So, I get tons of clients who are bringing in 600k a year, uh, 1 million a year, but they're not making as much as I do in my pocket. You know, I have a mm-hmm. lot of clients that make their business. Because they're running a manufacturing a business and the overhead's too big. Or they're, yeah, they have a service-based business, but they have, the overhead is just so high and they never prioritize themselves in the mm-hmm. process. And so mm-hmm. that's why your personal finance goals cannot be isolated from the business. And I get a lot mm-hmm. of entrepreneurs They've been in business for a while and they, you know, they're 60 years old. They don't have any kind of retirement structure or anything like that because they just focused on the business bringing in revenue. The business Mm -hmm. can look really good on paper, but what does that look like in your personal finance life? 
Like right. these are not, yeah. So that's the basic formula. So mm-hmm. every month you should be asking yourself that revenue minus expenses equals profit. Right. And I have another question around hiring. Okay. You mm-hmm. said that your business started out with just you and now you got people. And so when, when you need people, is it better to hire full-time people or consulting people? You know, it all depends, you know, what, what you're looking for. First of all, you should, and I said this on another podcast, and I think they were surprised. I said, you shouldn't hire people unless you have mastered demand. If you have not mastered demand in your business, you should not be hiring people because you're just putting ex- like regular large expenses. Usually payroll is the highest expense of a business. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you're putting regular large expense on the business and the business right. has not flourished to the point that you know that you can support that. And that doesn't mean you have to create all the revenue before you hire the person, but you have to have the skill set to know you can create the revenue. Right. So when it comes to hiring, a lot of times you can do it with part-time contractors if you're trying to get to six figures revenue and six figures profit. But there is a point where you do have to make a decision for full-time. And mm-hmm. usually that's because the growth of the business is not sustainable with part-time people. So my business reached a point where the demand was so high that I needed someone who was just as invested as I was mm-hmm. in the success of the business. And that is a big turning point in your business because instead of you just holding platform and capacity, you have someone else giving all of this time, 40 hours a week of holding platform and capacity for people. Right. So that's, you know, my opinion on hiring. I operated with part-time contractors for a long time and Mm -hmm. I knew how, I always knew how to create demand, but the demand became sustainable once I was able to hire a full-time person or I made the decision to hire that full-time person. Do you know, I'm starting to make the decision to hire more consultants that do more work. And so it takes the load off of me and it feels really good. Yes. I have yet to find anybody who can coach in my place. And you have, you even did that where you were mm-hmm. able to bring in people, train them, and coach in the place. I hold this coaching thing so precious that I have yet to find anybody I would say to clients, then you can come into the company, but that person over there is going to coach you. And so I think a lot of that is ego. And it like be, I think a lot of it could be that I really do have a, I really do have a unique coaching style, which is why I retain clients for so long, uh, because it's totally different than the way other people coach. It's more from your soul than your head. And I have to find somebody who aligns spiritually with me like that to do that. So, so you, yeah. but you were able to do that. You were able to find people who at least did the easy coaching, financial coaching pieces. Yeah, there's a there's a trial and error with it sometimes, unless you have someone who's already gone through this and can mm-hmm. help you. Um, you know, all of my clients do work with me, but they are also working with another coach, too, usually when they come to me for personal finance. So there's an entry point, you know, there's the, there's in every business, there's parts of the business that don't need you. Mm-hmm. And that first month of coaching does not need me. That's just the honest truth. So. That first month of coaching with personal finances are this baseline work. We're collecting baseline numbers and things of that sort. 
So I do have another coach that I trained up, but she was a past client. So Mm. she understood the power and the methodology of it all, you know, and so she came in and helped me with that. And the full-time person I have, she's all about making sure the client experience is the best experience they could have. Mm. She handles scheduling. She handles any client inquiries. She's just awesome all around. And so there were a lot of things in that space I didn't need to be need to do. I didn't need to reschedule clients. I didn't need to, you know, if someone has a request and wants a bio from me, I didn't need to do all of those things. Mm-hmm. She's the one who does it. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, there's other people on the team as well. But yeah, you know, there in every business, there's pieces that you don't need to do yourself. Um, and what it does is it opens you up to make more money or make money easier or make more money easier, to be honest, yeah, which is yeah. the third is what happened to me. Um, but there's also a feeling of, I don't know, it just feels awesome to be able to give someone else a job that they love, you know, yeah. give other women jobs that they enjoy. All of my all of my people in my business are women. They live in other parts of the country and they're working from home and they have all this freedom that they didn't have before. And so there's this was also my way of kind of, you know, paying it forward. I have this ability to make this money and I'm like, it's a trickle down effect that's allowing me to impact other people. Right, right. Kendall Jones, CEO, founder and CEO of Kendall Jones Coaching. Jones Thank you Coaching for being group. here. <laughs> what did you say? It's Jones Coaching Group. Oh, it's not Kendall Jones. That's right. Let's start that again. Kendall Jones, founder and CEO of Jones Coaching Group. <laughs> Thank you so very much for being here today. I think that what women learn from this will inspire them to go ahead and start that business before they make the leap. And you gave them all the steps on what to do on getting that business started without jumping out here with no income. Make sure you have that business in place and then leap. And so thank you so very much for that wisdom. And thank you for being part of Unshackled Leadership and Lantern for Black Women. Thank you for having me. You know, it's always a pleasure, as you know. And if anybody wants to talk to me further about it, you know, they can go to my website to see, you know, what is the best way to leave? Because I'm actually, I want to stop women from leaving sooner than they need to, or even sometimes later than they Right, need to. exactly. And all of Kendall's information will be in the description and you can get in touch with her. And I highly advise you to do it. Thanks again, Kendall. You're so welcome. Thank you for joining me here for this episode of Unshackled Leadership, a lantern for Black women. I hope you learned something here that will empower you. Now, if you want to reach me for individual coaching, you can find me on LinkedIn or at my website, In the Public Eye Communications. And I invite you to subscribe to us. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, or on YouTube. And please leave a comment. I would love to hear from you. I'm Joya Jefferson Nuri. I'm an ICF certified executive leadership coach. Thanks for joining me.